Welcome to Organs Talk, the podcast by the Boehringer Ingelheim and Lilly Alliance. My name is Dr. Alice Chang, an endocrinologist from the University of Toronto, and today I will be hosting the Organs Talk, the podcast episode, Living with Chronic Kidney Disease. Chronic kidney disease is a complex condition that affects about 1 in 10 adults worldwide, and it is often closely connected with heart disease and type 2 diabetes. In fact, 37% of adults with type 2 diabetes have been diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. Studies have found that living with chronic kidney disease can have a profound effect on an individual's quality of life. Rates of depression can be up to three times higher in people living with kidney disease than the general population. The impact on quality of life can be influenced by severity of disease, as well as age, gender, diabetes, and history of cardiovascular comorbidities. One patient testimonial noted, if you're a kidney disease patient, you're a kidney disease patient for life. It doesn't go away. It's something that you'll live with every day. In this episode, my guests and I explore the impact of chronic kidney disease on quality of life with a focus on managing comorbidities. In this season finale of Organs Talk, the podcast, I'm joined by our regulars, nephrologist Professor Merlin Thomas from Australia and cardiologist Professor Carolyn Lamb from Singapore, both of whom have a myriad of experience in caring for people living with conditions of the cardio, renal, and metabolic systems and know the impact chronic conditions can have on an individual's quality of life. So hello, Merlin. Hello, Carolyn. Maybe I'll start with you, Merlin. If you could please uh, properly introduce yourself and say hello to our audience. Thanks, Alice. I'm Merlin Thomas from the Department of Diabetes here at Melbourne's Monash University. I started off as a nephrologist doing the thing that you do, dialysis and transplantation, but then I quite rapidly became a, a diabetologist because I realized that that's where all the patients were coming from and where diabetes drives CKD. I was so interested in not only managing it, but hopefully preventing it. Thank you, Merlin. And Carolyn, please say hello to the audience. So I'm a heart failure cardiologist based in Singapore. So my perspectives will be from a heart failure perspective and also from a perspective of Asian patients in whom we have a lot of diabetes and diabetic nephropathy. So much so, and I don't want to steal Merlin's lines, but the practice that I see somehow, I feel like I need to share it with the nephrologist. And in fact, I think we share many, many of the patients. Really pleased to be here to chat more about that. And I think this is a perfect segue to really prove the point of why we have the three of us on here, uh, not only from different parts of the world, but from different specialties because of how interconnected the cardio-renal metabolic systems, in fact, are. I've already mentioned that that in my world, in, in the diabetes space, uh, nearly 40% of the people that I see do, in fact, have chronic kidney disease. But maybe we'll go back to you then, Carolyn. In your world, in the cardiology space, you, you mentioned that Many of the patients have kidney disease. Can you elaborate a little bit further on that? Well, as a heart failure cardiologist and looking at patients with heart failure, it is really the majority of my patients who have kidney disease. It's almost as if the heart and the kidney fail at the same time or in parallel. They share many of the risk factors that impact both the heart and the kidney at the same time, but also because of the crosstalk between the heart and the kidneys, whereby when the heart fails, it doesn't help the kidney a lot, and both in both arterial and venous 
uh, systems that reduce the perfusion of the kidney in the end. And so, and then when the kidney doesn't work well, it actually exacerbates the heart failure and the congestive state. So I have to say it's the majority of my patients who we see this in. But from a cardiology-wide perspective, I think the greatest impact on what we're seeing is that we're seeing older and older patients who carry a lot of comorbidities and truly Chronic kidney disease is one of the ones that we see most commonly and really impacts our ability to treat our patients. And the treatments also impact the manifestations of the heart disease itself. And then Merlin, in your world, obviously everyone has a chronic kidney disease. However, let me ask you then in your space, thinking about heart disease, thinking about diabetes, I mean, how prevalent are those two things in your patient population? It's incredible how closely interrelated cardiac disease, heart failure, kidney disease, and of course, type 2 diabetes are. I often look at them as actually the same disorder, something I call the caramel state of cardiac, renal, and metabolic, because they're all driven by the same thing, which is an excess of fat stored in the wrong place in most of these people. And the same thing that drives the development of diabetes as the liver and pancreas goes wrong also drives the ultimate development of hypertension, dyslipidemia, atherosclerosis that causes cardiovascular disease, and ultimately the damage that causes damage to the kidney. And I'm really delighted to hear Carolyn talking about her patients with cardiac disease and looking at so many of them with chronic kidney disease. But one of the really interesting things is that because Carolyn and all the cardiologists have been so enormously successful in treating cardiovascular disease in particular, surviving strokes and heart attacks, we are now seeing not only more heart failure, but actually more people surviving long enough to develop the chronic kidney disease that they're always destined to develop. So one of the advantages turns out to be one of the disadvantages, and we're seeing survival, so they end up on dialysis, so they end up needing a transplant. So thanks, Carolyn, for all that. (laughs) And actually, Merlin, you, you mentioned caramel disease. Do you want to elaborate on that? Oh, this this is one of the things I've coined because it sounds kind of cool, but it reminds you of the sticky mess or conglomeration that turns diabetes into something both rich and strange. But I think it coins not only the state where cardiac and renal sit together or kidney sit together, but the metabolic dysfunction associated with that. And often you add in maffled metabolic-associated fatty liver disease, eye disease and limb disease into the same conglomerate because, in fact, if you have someone who's got, as we're talking about in this case, with kidney disease, absolutely they're at risk of heart problems, but they're also risk of foot problems, of eye problems, of liver problems, and you mentioned depression as well. And you can see it the same way around. Carolyn's patients with cardiac disease and heart failure, you're always going to be on the lookout for renal disease and the development and progression of kidney problems, but you should never forget their feet. So it's all the same disease, the same sticky mess that I often like to call caramel because it sounds a bit nice, but in fact, it turns into a mess when you try and chew on it, I'm afraid. It's a fantastic visual and uh, sort of sticky and melting into each other and and really uh, very nicely illustrates how interconnected these issues in fact are. And Carolyn, earlier you mentioned how the impact is is not just the pathophysiology, but also it then impacts how one can treat. 
the individual components. So let's start off in your world, in your patients with heart disease, if they also have kidney disease, how does that impact your ability to offer treatments for the heart disease? Yeah, thanks. I think the most obvious way it impacts is, for example, in the field of heart failure, the minute the kidneys get in the way, I can't use the main medications that I used to use that prolong their lives for heart failure. And that would be the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors, for example. So that's one direction that's pretty obvious. But in another way, chronic kidney disease itself interferes with the whole diagnostic process of heart failure. For example, do we blame a fluid accumulation on the heart or the kidneys, um, which is the primary thing that we should be treating? And I suppose the answer really should be both. And thank goodness that we have ways to treat both at the same time now. The other way that it really contributes, we have a lot of data that shows that chronic kidney disease per se contributes to the burden of hospitalizations and mortality in heart failure. And then also the treatment for chronic kidney disease can also impact heart failure itself. I think in in many of the ways it's advantages because Merlin was talking about how, you know, more patients may end up with dialysis, but frankly, dialysis and in fact, ultrafiltration is something that we need to be done for the treatment of heart failure. And I think there are many other ways that treatment is impacted. Interaction between drugs used to treat heart failure and those used to treat the chronic kidney disease. There are drugs that frankly worsen both, like NSAIDs, for example. So in many ways, it's interconnected. And I think in the the diabetes space, I can say that when an individual has chronic kidney disease, depending on the level of kidney function, I have to think about things like potential accumulation of medication, potential risk of hypoglycemia on that basis, uh, as well as in some cases reduced efficacy based on the existence of reduced renal function. So it definitely would impact the management of glycemia. However, for Merlin, then, thinking about those with kidney disease, if somebody has heart disease, you're sharing a patient with Carolyn, how does the heart disease impact your ability to manage the kidney disease? It's a great prognostic marker. The first and most important thing is that the more things that have gone wrong, the more things will go wrong. And when you see those individuals who are troubled with multiple comorbidity, multimorbidity as it's often called, they are the ones really struggling and they are the ones that you wish you'd done something sooner. But further to Carolyn's idea, one of the, one of the classic stories is that your man gets sent into the emergency department with quite marked shortness of breath and desaturation with marked leg edema, and a specialist is called. If the cardiologist arrives, they say, oh, that patient's got heart failure. If the nephrologist gets there first, they'd say, oh, they've got fluid retention. It's the same disease. The kidneys aren't helping you out of a situation um, where the heart isn't helping you out either. And often they are really so closely interrelated that you cannot tell them apart and you have to manage them essentially as one. And the reason that these people without good kidney function get into their 
heart failure problems is that, as you well know, the kidneys get people out of their fluid jams on so many occasions. For example, if you don't drink enough and you get dry, guess what? Your kidneys retain fluid to keep you systematically okay. Equally, when you get fluid overloaded, you pee it out and it normalizes things. Without that function, and particularly when the heart's maintenance of of homeostasis becomes disrupted, there's a, a major cliff in front of you and so many of our patients you know decompensate fall off that cliff and end up in carolyn's ward with heart failure slash fluid overload with her thinking about i've got to get this fluid off somehow either using a vast amount of diuretics or ultrafiltration and that's why we have to think about the kidneys early and protect those individuals with impaired kidney function because they just don't have the reserves to cope with the kind of challenges that impaired cardiac function is going to throw at them equally that diabetes could throw at them so you mentioned about the individual who's got multiple comorbidities, and, and we certainly all have patients who fit that category. How do you explain this to the person? Because I think we understand the interconnectedness, but at the same time, I think people, ourselves included, like to compartmentalize things, right? We like to sort of list uh, what people have, but yet, as you mentioned, Merlin, caramel, right? Everything's sort of sticky and, and, and melts together. So how do you actually explain or do you explain to the, the individual the interconnectedness? Maybe we'll start with you, Carolyn. Do, do you have that conversation with your patients? I have to admit, I don't think we're doing a good job and I'm guilty of that. We have very sort of discipline-centric ways of looking at our patients. And frankly, it's conversations like this that are really holding a mirror up to my own face and sort of making me realize I really should be having better conversations with my patients. Frankly, the way it happens now, they're thinking they've got a heart disease and they're coming to see me. And then suddenly I mention, oh, by the way, your kidneys are getting worse and it's getting harder and harder for me to treat your heart because your kidneys are getting worse. And they're like, oh no, like they've got a whole other new diagnosis and oh dear, you know, um, um, it's a disaster and so on. And I really wish I had preempted earlier and let them know it's not exactly new. It's all part of the same thing. Please don't worry. It's not yet another. We're going to manage it together. When we improve one, the other does too. You know, just sort of prepare them for that idea. I think it, it also goes all the way back to when a patient only has perhaps diabetes, suspected heart disease, and maybe doesn't have it yet. Even from then, I think it's so important to introduce to them that diabetes is not just sugar. And Alice, you've said that so many times, but I think I'm guilty of not reiterating that to patients, that it's not just sugar, so that they already know that their heart and their kidneys are at risk. And so, first of all, that reminds them to take preventive measures, to take therapy seriously and so on. But it also prepares them that when something happens, they detect it early and they're not sort of slammed with a, oh no, why is so many things happening to me? And they realize that it's actually part of a disease spectrum and trajectory. I love that point about having those conversations early, not to scare people. That, of course, is not the purpose. But 
for them to understand the interconnectedness and the fact that when I am first meeting someone living with diabetes, we need to talk about all the various organs that could be impacted. Let me ask the same question of you then, Merlin. When, when you are speaking with your patients, how much detail do you go into about this interconnectedness? How do you do that? Well, I think that this is actually really critical, but it's easy for me because once I have a patient, for example, with type 2 diabetes whose kidneys are not functioning the way that they should do, obviously I'm going to treat them as someone with high cardiovascular risk. Whether or not they've had a heart attack, they're at high cardiovascular risk. In fact, their risk of dying um, of a cardiac event is far greater than actually ending up on dialysis. I'm going to treat them as though they have a high risk for heart failure, even though I've never done an echo, because they absolutely are somewhere between four to ten times more likely to end up in hospital with fluid overload slash heart failure. And equally, I'll treat them at high risk of either liver, eye or foot disease and check their feet all of the time. Now, if I am doing those things, the question for them is, why is he doing those things? The answer is, Well, I have to tell them the reason that I'm looking after their heart, even though I'm their kidney doctor, is that the most important thing for them, obviously, is to treat them holistically, to treat all of their risks. And the big risk of kidney diseases, heart disease, heart failure, other kinds of things. So while we're protecting the kidneys, we need to protect these other organs. And that's why I really think caramel is a cool idea. And it keeps me at least on track because I like to think of this as the same disease. If you like, the cardiac manifestation of metabolic disease is heart attacks and heart failure. The kidney manifestation is renal impairment. There are eye and foot and liver manifestations as well. Now, each of those organs take their own time to get to the point that they're developing dysfunction and some lead first and some follow later and some come the other way around. For example, many patients with type 2 diabetes then subsequently go on, have a cardiac event or develop kidney disease. But actually, when you screen, you find that many people newly diagnosed with diabetes already have albuminuria or a reduced EGFR or heart failure at the time of their their diagnosis. So it all happened way before when they had metabolic syndrome, when they had adiposity, and it's all tissue-specific manifestations of exactly the same disease. So how do we work together then? Because I think this message is coming out loud and clear that everything is connected with everything else and it often coexists in the same individual. Uh, The prevention part, it's the same root, I guess, that that we're talking about. But many patients will have myself, uh, Carolyn, Merlin involved in their care. So how do we work together as disciplines and how do we convince our colleagues to do that and whose job is it then to do which parts? It's, it's, it's a big question that I'm asking. Maybe I'll start with you, Caroline. Any, any thoughts as to how do we get our disciplines to work better together? Wow, that is the money question. And Alice, I don't think I have the answer. I definitely admit that it's conversations like this that are the starter. I mean, I've just learned so much from chatting with both of you, how to communicate certain things to patients how to screen and to pay attention to other things. And I think that I wish every cardiologist could have these conversations. So there's 
all the way from that, just being aware, having platforms in which to exchange ideas and learn from each other, all the way to another extreme of, I know now of cardiorenal metabolic clinics that are being set up. I think that's the ultimate thing. If we take a patient-centric view, they would like to be the center of that management and to have all three disciplines really coordinated and seeing them at the same time. But that's sort of an extreme that requires a lot of infrastructure and support to make happen. But perhaps while we can't do that, we can use the tools in front of us, things like electronic health records, communication via that, and I suppose just awareness of the different issues and how they're connected and how we need to communicate with each other. The question of whose job is it? So, wow, that's really good. I think it's all our jobs. Um, and, and gone are the days where, um, and I'm guilty of kind of um, looking at the HbA1c and telling a patient, go see your dermatologist about this or something like that. I think, you know, now we really need to take a holistic point of view. Um, perhaps I could be the one to call the diabetologist and say, hey, is there a reason you did this drug or that drug? And can we consider the others? A classic example would also be you know, speaking with my nephrologist colleagues, because it's almost a tug of war each time where I'm trying to lower the systolic blood pressure to as low as possible, literally to the patient, just about doesn't faint. And, you know, it's constantly a tug of war because the perfusion pressure is so important for the kidneys. And then maybe it's best that I give a call to my nephrology colleague and sort of say, hey, can we reach a good compromise at how much ACE inhibition or, or uh, we should be putting this patient on and so on. I'm, again, not sure I have a full answer, but I, I think that this is the right step in the right direction uh, where we're heading now. So it sounds like communication is key, but also a recognition that the lines in the sand are really not there and that it is, in fact, all of our not, – not to expect each specialty to fully understand the other, but to at least recognize the importance, share that with the patient, communicate with our colleagues so that – the patient is getting the same message, right, from all the specialties that, hey, this other thing is important too. Can you please connect with so-and-so? And then we connect with our colleagues as well. I, I think that's probably the first initial sort of easy things to try to achieve. We can't all be Merlins who, who can, in fact, uh, treat all of them himself, but, but we can certainly lean on our colleagues. But I do want to switch gears a little bit, though. We've talked a lot about the pathophysiology about treatments, about sort of our space as healthcare providers. But let's talk about the most important topic, which is, of course, the person living with these multiple uh, morbidities. So, Merlin, what have your patients shared with you in terms of challenges that they may be facing when they have these multiple comorbidities? Well, it's really interesting that most people with chronic kidney disease don't think their kidneys are a problem. Because often they get referred on the basis of blood tests or urine tests. And they might say, oh, you know, my doctor says I've got a chronic kidney disease, but I'm my usual self, whether I'm tired or short of breath or whatever. That's just my heart or, or whatever. But their EGFR is 30 or something. And, you know, I'm not a problem at all. And that's really hard to work with. 
because often chronic kidney disease is so silent, at least at the beginning. But what they do end up having problems, and when certainly when by the time your EGFR drops below 60, these are exactly the kind of individuals with either diabetes plus, um, heart failure plus, or let's say cardiovascular disease plus with a reduced EGFR. These are these same individuals who are more likely, for example, to develop AF, more likely to be hospitalized by it with fluid overload slash heart failure, more likely to develop adverse drug reactions, more likely to have other problems. So most of the time, the patients are saying, well, it's the other problems that are bothering me. It's not my kidney disease, but actually the other problems are made much more likely as a result of their kidneys not being able to get them out of the jams that perhaps they were able to get them out when their EGFR was 90. Mm, very interesting. So their quality of life is affected, but they're not necessarily attributing it to the, I don't know if correct is the right word. Yeah. To their kidneys, because, you know, one of the crazy things about kidneys is, you know, most people think, you know, if my kidneys are failing, I should be peeing less. Right. And actually, one of the funny things that happens as kidney function declines is the ability to concentrate urine at night often becomes um, progressively impaired. So actually, as kidney function goes down, sometimes they find themselves peeing more and go, well, what's the problem with my kidneys? It's, you know, it's great. The urine comes out, there's more than coming out. Where's the kidney failure here? And it's really hard, unlike a heart attack, chest pain or whatever, to actually say, well, this is your kidney and this is what it's doing because a lot of the ways that the kidneys work and a lot of the symptoms that people end up experiencing are essentially the knock-on effects onto other organs, the heart, the fluid retention on the legs, the blood pressure, for example. It's all sort of knock-on and they say, well, my blood pressure or my fluid, or those are the problems. But actually, the kidney is the problem that underlies many of their issues. And then as the kidney disease progresses, I imagine the recognition that it is in fact their kidneys that are a significant culprit uh, grows. And clearly as one progresses to pre-dialysis, then dialysis, the quality of life is significantly impacted, I think, for obvious reasons. And people think of them as the lucky few. Right. Yeah. You know, those those the ones who live that long. Because of the serious effect of impaired kidney function on people, you know, if you have reduced um, GFR and you're over the age of 65, you are 20 times more likely to die, particularly of a cardiovascular event or a stroke or heart failure or sudden death, than end up on dialysis. You know, why am I treating these patients? The answer is to keep them alive. And the major things is not the dialysis issue, the major thing is staying alive from cardiac and heart failure and the other issues that beset, including infections as well. And I would imagine all of these things together with multiple comorbidities can certainly weigh on one's mental health, I would imagine. And uh, Caroline, are, are there any resources that you're aware of or, or that you use within your clinic or, or other healthcare providers that you lean on to really help patients cope with the multiple conditions that uh, they now have? For sure. I have no idea where I would be without our heart failure nurses and with the entire team, including a pharmacist, uh, physiotherapist, uh, and so on, uh, to manage patients with heart failure. It, it, we have data that show such a sort of comprehensive program really helps improve outcomes 
Um, and it's actually very, very necessary given the way we have to titrate medications, monitor how patients are doing, and help with this cross-disciplinary visits and care. Practically all our patients have to receive. So the nurses, I, I, I really have to take my hats off to them and the pharmacists. But if I may digress a little bit, Alice, I, I was just listening to you and Merlin just now and just really smiling to myself because, uh, you know, Merlin brings up that you're right. Patients, I suppose, have trouble understanding that their kidneys are an issue if they're still producing urine and things like that. But I found myself saying the exact same thing about heart failure. When I tell my patients that they have heart failure, they, they give a blank stare. They have no idea what it means. They understand a heart attack, but that's about it when it comes to the heart. And people don't understand heart failure. And uh, Merlin, you're going to get a kick out of this. To explain it, I actually use kidney failure because they understand kidney failure. And I say, you know, heart failure, it's like kidney failure. It's an, an organ failure. It's something that we can support you through, but it's not like a heart attack. So it's just very interesting um, how we have different viewpoints. And it's just very, very refreshing to hear the other side of the coin. So thank you. Let me ask you, we'll start with you, Carolyn, next five to 10 years. Uh, how would you like to see the management of chronic kidney disease evolve? And then, and then Merlin, I'm going to ask you the same. Wow. I would love to see an earlier and earlier addressing of the problem. And I think that really, really, again, begins with awareness. I don't say that in, in a small way because the awareness among physicians, for example, needs to change practice in terms of even just testing to detect the disease earlier. I think one of the things that I've humbly learned is the importance of testing for albuminuria, for example, of realizing that even when GFR is still normal and for sure, when creatinine is still normal, we could detect that the kidneys are deteriorating early by testing appropriately. As we get more therapies that actually help address things early and prevent the decline in renal function, this is going to be more and more important. Thank you. And Merlin, your thoughts the next five to 10 years? Well, what has been so exciting over the last really five years is that the guidelines for managing Things like diabetes, heart failure, cardiovascular disease have now all incorporated chronic kidney disease right up there as part of their A-logarithms. So when you start thinking, what do I use to treat diabetes? Actually, I now think, what if they've got kidney disease first? Now I've got heart failure guidelines saying, what if they've got kidney disease first? And cardiovascular guidelines that are saying, well, if you've got chronic kidney disease, then you should be treating them as high risk right now. So now we're seeing kidney disease being actually in the guidelines. But what we need over the next five to 10 years is really for those guidelines to change practice so that every time we see someone with or at risk of diabetic complications, we are treating them holistically. And in particular, if you've got diabetic kidney disease, 
the signs or symptoms of chronic kidney disease, then you are treating them aggressively and intensively to lower their risk because these are the ones who end up in hospital and these are the ones who die. And equally, the cardiologists we will see the cardiovascular physicians, the heart failure physicians, the liver physicians, and the diabetologists now will be treating chronic kidney disease not as something that belongs to the nephrologist, but something belongs to them as part of this caramel, cardiac, renal, metabolic, sticky mess that we want to get patients out of altogether. So it has been wonderful talking to both of you. I've certainly learned a lot. And and before we finish, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to sort of choose, you know, one key message that, that you want to end this session on. And let's start with you, Carolyn, sort of what is one key message out of all the things that we've discussed that you want to reemphasize to our audience? Definitely think caramel. So there you go. My one key message actually steals <laughs> Merlin's. But it is just so true. Remember that conditions of cardiac, renal, and metabolic systems are really, really interconnected. And I think all of us need to be thinking more broadly about this. We need to be conveying this to patients. And we really need to be synergizing our efforts uh, for the sake of the patient. We have lots of therapies coming up that actually can address all three. And so now is the time that we really, really need to hold hands, stop practicing with blinkers on our eyes, and really start communicating more with each other and coordinating our efforts to treat our patients better. Thank you, Carolyn. And Merlin, same to you, one key message that you you want to leave the audience with. Well, I really want to say that chronic kidney disease, as you've heard, is a total disaster. No matter what we do, it becomes a real challenge for both patient and physician. So and over the next five to 10 years, when you hear the word renoprotective or kidney protective, you hear a trial of a new therapy that's going to protect the kidney, you can think, yeah, I could use some of that in some of the patients and indeed most of the patients um, that I can work with. So watch out for renal protective therapy because I think they're going to change your management as you realize how many people need protection of their kidneys. Thank you for that, Merlin. And, and I, I, for me, I, I think prevention is is a key message in my mind. I've often joked that part of my job as someone dealing with people living with diabetes and, and frankly, our, our primary care colleagues, our internal medicine colleagues, is to have our patients never meet you, Merlin, or meet you, Carolyn, and and never meet the, the liver specialists, et cetera, right? I mean, ideally, we do everything we can to try to prevent uh, things from progressing and things from happening in the first place. So on that note, I would very much like to thank you, Professor Carolyn Lamb, as well as you, Professor Merlin Thomas, for the incredible conversation we've just had that I've certainly learned a lot from. Thank you very much for that. And I'd like to thank our audience. You've been listening to Organs Talk, the podcast by the Bowringer Ingelheim and Lilly Alliance, episode on living with chronic kidney disease, the physician's perspective, where I, Dr. Alice Chang, was joined by Professor Merlin Thomas and Professor Carolyn Lamb. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow to listen to our next episode.